Right, and we are live, and we are back. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining. Uh, this is Rankable, episode 34. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas, Senior Account Executive at iPull Rank. And we have a really, really great episode today. We're going to be talking about how to drive or how to turn your MQLs to SQLs and how to drive, um, how to turn your leads into revenue, right? And we've got a special guest, man, the man, the myth, the legend, man. <laughs> so he's actually one of my favorite content creators on LinkedIn. Um, if, you, if you're on the platform daily like I am, I'm pretty sure you've seen one of his amazing videos. He's also the host of one of the hottest marketing podcast, Data Demand Jam, which you can catch on Apple and Spotify and all the other channels. And he's also the CEO of Refine Labs, which focuses on demand gen for B2B companies and really focus on helping them increase qualified pipeline of revenue. Man, our special guest today, man, our brother, Chris Walker, man. How are you? Appreciate the intro, Jarrett, uh, and really pumped to be on here. For anyone, I can't see people that are live, but I imagine there's people out there. And so, um, yeah, really looking forward to sharing some sharing some stories, sharing some information, hoping that it helps you get better. Um, and I'm monitoring the comments in here. And so if you have comments, if you're liking stuff, if you got questions, uh, I got that on the side here. So I'm looking out as well. So feel free to drop them in there. For sure, man. Love it. Love it, man. So I, I would love to start before we get into the actual topic of like how to turn MQLs and SQLs. I would love to hear about your journey first. So like if you could start off, I noticed in your background, man, you started off out of college. You was an electrical engineer. So mm-hmm. how did you transition to marketing and to where you are now as CEO of Refine Labs? Yeah, I think, I think this is a big one for people that are uh, later in their career can relate. And I think people earlier in their career can learn from it. And so when I uh, when I studied, when I decided to go and study engineering in college, how did I decide? People were like, you're good at math. I guess you can go, you should just do engineering. I kind of just did what people told me, but it ended up working out for me. So I studied engineering. I thought I was going to write software for medical devices and things like that. Um, and then I got out into the world and I, I engineering is not as cool as the way that I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like mad scientists making inventions, going like cool shit. And it just yeah. wasn't like that. I was like sitting in a lab with a couple of people, like just sitting on a computer. And so I um, quickly started going out and seeing customers. And I, when I went and saw customers, so I was like, what type of stuff, what kind of features do you want me to write? What kind of things do you want me to do? And the company mm-hmm. noticed that straight away. And they're like, this person's made for marketing, not for, for engineering. <laughs> and so they, they really helped me make that transition. I started transitioning to product management, interfacing with engineering and building business cases and deciding what products to build and how to price it and how to roll it out to customers and launch and promote. And so I kind of had like, at that point, I was 25, 26 years old, and I was the CEO of an $8 million business unit for a company. And so that was a really cool, really cool experience. And then um, after that, moved into a venture-funded medical device company, first venture-funded company I had been a part of, mm-hmm. um, where you know investing a lot in growth, it just raised $65 million, had a very large sales team. And that's where I, I got a lot, I had a lot of core foundational marketing skills that I think a lot of marketers don't have that I learned in those first four years about like figuring out how to how to price products and talk to customers yeah. and things like that. And then I got over here where the product was already built. We weren't doing any other things really new. And I got to just go figure out how to sell that stuff. And so yeah. that's where I learned a lot of the, those two years at a company called Vapotherm was where I learned a lot of the things that I deploy today and just have mm-hmm. been like consistently iterate. Obviously things have changed since I did that in 2017, 18, but, yeah. um, but that's where I learned a lot of the foundational stuff. Yeah, that, that's amazing, man. The first of all, the fact that they noticed that, right? But I think the key right there is what you mentioned is the fact that you, unlike most marketers, they, you went to the you went to the customer, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the main thing, right? Mm-hmm. What do you want? What features do you want? What do you expect from our brand, right? And that's something I think is the disconnect between sales and marketing. 
Mm -hmm. That's a huge disconnect. So like, and it actually leads into my next question, man, because like, obviously it's 2021, we're in the tail end of a global pandemic, right? The way we shop, the way we search, the way we communicate, everything has changed. And ultimately the way we buy, right? Mm -hmm. And that applies to our personal, professional lives. And I feel like B2B brands are stuck in an old antiquated way of doing marketing. So, you know, like you publish the ebook, you gate, you do a guide, you gate the content, the prospect puts in minimal information about their needs and challenges. And me, Jared, as the salesperson, is expected to nurture that cold lead and drive them down the funnel, right? Yeah, so yeah. It could be a waste of time depending on who, right? Mm-hmm. So what can be done internally for these companies to improve lead quality? And why do you believe B2B companies aren't adopting new strategies? Yeah, so the there's a couple different factors in here. The first one is about when someone enters to you and when they think that it should go to a salesperson. It's the definition of an MQL that's broken, I think, in companies, which then drives all of these different behaviors. If you change the definition of an MQL to somebody that fits your ICP and says, hey, I want to talk to Jared about buying this stuff, which is how we define it over here, then um, then you change your marketing mix. You stop gating ebooks because that's not going to help you hit the fake goal that you've set inside of a company. And so I think this all stems from how that... um, how that is defined in companies driven by the serious decisions demand waterfall that was created in the late 2000s um, and hasn't been really updated since. And so um, companies continue to recycle that playbook and get, uh, I would say, decreasingly uh, decreasing results from it um, while spending more money. And so that's, I think, the root. And so if you acknowledge that the MQL is the only things that I care about, I I don't, I call them high intent leads just to be just to not call them an MQL because people think yeah. about it differently, but totally. high intent lead. If I'm trying to get those and I know that those become customers at 10%, 7%, 12%, as opposed to my ebook downloads that become customers at 0.1%, 0.05% and waste a ton of my sales team's time, yeah. then you change your marketing mix to say, I need to get someone all the way through. I'm not here to just capture someone's email address that's just browsing around doing nothing and has no intent to buy. Yeah. I need to create that demand in the market and then I need to have transactional infrastructure so that when someone's actually want to buy stuff, that they can find us, that they convert, that we can get them to sales quickly, that we go move them through a process. And so that's where I'm really like at a high level, what how I see it. No, that, that makes a ton of sense to me, man. And, and I definitely know it, it's a gift and a curse, right? Because there's the opportunity for B2B companies to actually do something different and be creative. But like you said, those old metrics are kind of limiting the the everything. Exactly. Yeah. And so you build your company around this. And so established companies, I have a lot of empathy for because it becomes difficult to change when you have 40 SDRs Mm -hmm. and those 40 SDRs are relying on you delivering 2000 MQLs a month. And so therefore marketing needs to deliver those 2000 MQLs a month, regardless of whether or not it works. And so the company just kind of churns and runs through it without if you actually looked at it, you'd be like, wow, this is really unproductive. Maybe we should start over and think about a better way to do this. Exactly. I think, but that conversation doesn't happen as often, right? It's it doesn't like, happen very at all. I'm trying, exactly. to, I'm trying to help companies start that conversation because you'd build a lot better company if you if you acknowledge that. Totally, totally. And you actually, you mentioned that in a post today, right? I think you said um, it was why B2B companies are stuck, right? And you mentioned how yeah. organizations <laughs> build their marketing model around metrics and cost per lead. And one thing you said is they should change the goals and, and have the patience to allow the plan to work. So mm-hmm. I read the comments. A lot of people were saying, getting pushback like how do i get my ceo to to understand this i help me so what advice would you give to that marketing professional um who's looking to be more creative but needs that buy-in like what should Mm -hmm. they do yeah so i i've done this inside of a company and i'll be honest with you it's very hard i worked for a i worked for a company where the ceo didn't believe in marketing was very sales heavy thought about everything like sales i spent two years there i built this model here that was very successful but (laughs) 
probably at a, about a monthly basis, I risk getting fired in order to get the things that I wanted to get done. And so wow. if you're trying to get this done inside of a company, it's going to be very, very challenging. Yeah. Um, and so with that said, like uh, Dave Gerhard mentions it a lot. I believe in it a lot because I've worked with enough CEOs to know this is that like you're not going to change a CEO's mind on some of these things. So you got two options. Um, you can try and slowly move forward like I did for two years in that company. And you're going to learn a lot of stuff. The thing that I learned most in that is how to communicate with a CEO that doesn't believe in marketing. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, and it's a it's a skill that I use today to build my company. And so it was it was a definitely a worthwhile endeavor. The second one is to go find a CEO that already believes in it, which I think is the best path because yeah. you get the creativity, freedom, buy-in, budget, right, the right metrics. You just That's get everything it. you need to be successful. And so when you think about it long-term, you could spend two years of your career fighting and, and trying to like slowly make moves. And if you took those exact same two years and you went somewhere that believed in it, how much better in two years of a marketer that you would be across the set of all of the other people that work for CEOs that don't get it. And so mm -hmm. that's the way that I look at it now. I look at it in a long-term lens. How quickly can you build these skills? Because marketers are falling, most marketers are falling behind. The yeah. ones that emerge and move forward will get exponentially farther ahead. Yeah. So the marketers that are exponentially farther ahead are going to have a huge advantage in the talent market, are going to make way more money, are going to be way more successful, are going to start their own companies, going to be able to be a consultant and make a ton of money. Like yeah. the opportunities are really there for people. Um, and so that's just sort of the way that I look at it is I looked at it from 23 to 30 is and I wasn't thinking about it at the time. I just looked back at it. It's like yeah. it's what I did. Like I'm focused yeah. on building my skills because I knew long term that I was going to do something like this. I didn't know that I was going to yeah. start this company, but I knew that I wasn't going to work for someone forever. And so yeah. I was really focused on how do I develop the skills, how to read a P&L, how to yeah. um, manage cash flow, how to hire an employee, how to do how to do marketing, how to do sales, how to understand finance. Like, and so yeah. I think people another thing for marketers is just like a tip is like the more that you can understand about how the entire business works, not just how marketing or SEO or content works, you're going to be way more valuable in the future. If you want to be an executive, if you want to start a company, you need to understand how all the pieces come together. Product, yeah. finance, operations, recruiting. Yeah. like, And so mm -hmm. I, I think it's a big one for marketers to stand out to start to understand the, the functions that are on the fringe of marketing that, that interface with marketing. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I, I think that applies also to sales, man. It definitely mm -hmm. like because definitely. When I, what I've started um, and what I've noticed, and I'll say this line, I think we spoke about it in the green room, but this is a line that the audience knows and you guys are probably tired of me saying it, but teach them how to fish and they'll learn you sell fishing poles, right? And my whole thing was how do I, you know, build my brand to the point where buyers are actually coming to me and I have to leverage as a salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. So that could be anything from just sharing your expertise. And what worked for me was just sharing my story. But I think mm -hmm. me and you both think long term in terms of strategy, right? Build your brand, be top of mind. Like, so what compelled you to take that strategy and how are you measuring the impact that your personal brand has on your actual business? Because I spent five years working at companies doing marketing and then monitoring what was happening in sales and realizing how much better marketing worked than sales. Like I just yeah. knew it. Um, you need both. I'm not like this is not a knock on salespeople. It's just like the yeah. way that buyers buy is different now. And exactly. so if you market well, like the, the way that I say it is if you do marketing well, sales is easy. I don't even consider it sales. Exactly. You know it's a layup. It's a layup. You, 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 you know what I mean? Like people are knocking on your door being like, hey, can I give you $200,000 to do this? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, here's the um, and so like, so I, I've, I've seen this happen in real life, like in a way where I think a lot of people haven't, which is why they don't necessarily respect the impact that marketing can have, especially long term. Right. Like yeah. I'm doing this podcast. I do three podcasts a week. 
I've been doing three podcasts a week for two years. Just more people are listening to it now. So I do the same amount of work and I get exponentially way more out of it because way more people listen to it. And so it's different. Like if I wanted to scale my company in a different way, then I would need like 10 salespeople. And then as we grew, I would need 40. And at this point, we just need like, like I, I do it all right now. At some point, we're going to need one or two. But like, yeah. you'll, we're never going to need a, a 40 person sales team like a SaaS company. Yeah. So, no, that, um, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. And so, how do, sense. I me- how do I measure it? It's qualitative. Like, I, I think this is another missing piece for, for marketers. They, look, they spend so much time in the data that they don't actually get to feel what it's like. Like, I'm in there in LinkedIn. I s- feel the sentiment of how people are responding. Yeah. I see who's doing it. I get people coming in, sending me messages on LinkedIn DM. I hear I'm in revenue collective Slack channels where people are talking about an episode of the podcast. People are reaching out to me like you to do this. Like you can just, you can feel the momentum. Yeah. And then I can also see it in our sales data. Like the, the impact of brand mm-hmm. gets measured through sales. That's a great um, point. And so, uh, and uh, the way that I look at it is, is truly inbound sales, not inbound like SEO, but people that are coming to you saying, Hey, I'm ready to buy that then become customers. That's so, that's the end all metric of of brand in my view, um, but then you have to be inside of the channels to understand which channels making the impact. Like where are these people coming from? Different things. So exactly. at the beginning, it was mainly LinkedIn. At the moment, it's mainly the podcast, and I've felt that shift over this past six to nine months. Where on the podcast, we're getting way deeper. Somebody that's going to listen to four and a half hours of the content that I put out every week on a podcast is way different than somebody that watches my video once a week on LinkedIn. And so just sort of, sort of understanding um, how people consume, not necessarily like where they're consuming, but like the depth of the consumption, I think is really interesting how much relevance it creates when someone, yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Like, I think that's the the best part of that, right? Like you said, brand equals sales. And if it's not doing that, then then what is the point of doing it at all? Right. Mm -hmm. And like, so it's the trouble. It's the trouble with a a lot of, a lot of B2B companies say that they're doing brand, but then they get no inbound sales because the stuff that they're doing for brand is outdated. Yeah. It's not actually effective. And so the trade show booth, putting like a, uh, add in a magazine that goes out to people, um, you know, doing such, such broad, like top of funnel content, like, um, that it has nothing to do with like your narrative, your company, your category, your product. Like, um, some of those things can really miss too. Like, yeah, I get that Goldman Sachs can do it. I get that Salesforce can do it, but you're a 10 million ARR SaaS company. It may not fly there. Like you're not going to get the impact like those other companies do. And those other companies, to be honest, put out that content and they don't care. They don't care what it does. It's a drop in a bucket. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great point, man. And what would, like, what would you recommend to people who are starting and are putting an emphasis on brand, right? They are on LinkedIn. They are starting a podcast, but sales aren't flowing. What would you suggest to them? What would they have to tweak? Or what would you think they should look at? The number one thing that you need is you need to understand the people that you're trying to communicate with. It's the biggest miss in marketing, right? Like, Um, so especially for marketers that sell to a persona, that's not a marketer, I'm a marketer, I'm marketing to CFOs, right? Let's just, let's just look at that as an example. Yeah. Like if you don't understand deeply what's going on in a CFO's world, you're not going to write stuff that they care about. It's just the truth. And so understanding really, like when Mm -hmm. I did this, I was going to emergency medicine physicians where I really started to respect this. I spent eight weeks in the ER with physicians, but they were using different products than ours, customers, prospects, understanding them. Going to conferences, seeing what session would follow them around to what sessions they went to, yeah. heard what they were listening to, 
had drinks at the bar with them, figured yeah. out what, you know, followed them on Facebook, figured out what they were doing on Facebook. This is like five years ago now, but it's figured out what they were doing on Facebook. And so like be before you try and go and communicate with somebody, you need to understand them. And then you need to find what your opening is. Like you have to understand them and then you need to figure out what am I going to do that's going to be valuable to them where out of all of the different content they can look at at LinkedIn, out of all the different podcasts they can listen to, they're going to choose mine. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, man. And I can see, like, I, I remember I told, told you about this in the green room, man. I think that's kind of what I'm struggling with personally, right? So I've got a big audience. I've got CMOs, CEOs. But what stuck for me wasn't the actual marketing stuff, right? Because I'm really mm -hmm. good at content. I'm really good at telling people how to improve on LinkedIn. But what drives traffic for me is telling my story. Like, hey, I was a 20-year-old with two kids, and I was working at Starbucks and mm -hmm. all this other jazz. And I got to, to a sales company, and I ended yeah, up doing love that. the UK. But then, like, you know what I mean? But then what happens is, and I'll be honest with you, you get stuck in a friend zone a lot. Yeah. That's I the totally, thing. I, to I totally hear it. Like, the reason, and and I, I mix in my friend zone stuff, too. It's not a bad thing to do. You get a lot more visibility when you go that way. I know that. Like, For sure. I, I, had a, I had an interesting test from 2019 that I ran on LinkedIn. And so, um, in, in October of 2019, I went, every day I posted a video. Mm -hmm. Okay. Every day I posted a video. We had our best month of pipeline ever. Mm -hmm. um, and we got about 300,000 impressions at the time. And then the next month I was going straight for impressions or reach okay. or whatever you want to call it. And I was measuring in shield and I did all text posts, 100% broad stuff like that. And I, we generated 7.4 million impressions, which is I'm trying to do the math in my head. Um, I don't know, 12 times more uh, total impressions in a month. And it was our worst pipeline month of the company's history. Wow. And so, and that the diff, that's really the difference. And I was video about specific subjects that were talking about the things that people could do better versus here's my career story. Here's this motivational thing. Here's this different thing where the impact was different, right? The, so I think a lot of people struggle when they're going for reach or followers or different things like that. When you, people are not able to connect the dots between, hey, this person is talking about career, but they actually sell finance software or they actually sell in IT security yeah. services or whatever, right? And so figuring out how you can weave those things in or make it very prominent in your profile where it is. But I think that you got to communicate your narrative is the, is the thing where I think that we've been able to do very well. Like our, yeah. we have our narrative very locked in. We're very consistent. We say it in a, several ways at different yeah. times, but we believe in like six to 10 core things, right? And, yeah. and said different ways. And so, um, and I think it helps people. And every once in a while we discover a new one, which is cool. And then we're so deep in the, I'm so deep in the details that I'm able to, when people ask me questions about pretty much anything, I'm able to at least weigh in on my opinion. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and that's, and that's critical, right? There was a few, few different things. And you mentioned shield too, man. Like yeah. I've heard, I've heard about shield a lot. Can you tell us a little bit of what that is? And for those listening, I know that's a LinkedIn analytics tool, but how do yeah. you apply that to your, your brand? Yeah. It's a, it's a LinkedIn analytics tool. To be honest, I still pay for the subscription, but I don't log in very often. Like mm -hmm. I have, kind of have it locked in right now. And, and I'm, now that I have a core cadence of what my metrics should be, I sort of know, but um, at the beginning, I was like trying to understand what is the difference, like what is the difference between the engagement of a video versus a text post. Exactly. And then I started to see, oh, like videos get way less views, yep. but 10x more engagement. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and then, and then I just started to like understand those things. I knew that at the in the first hour, I should have 10% engagement on my videos. I knew that my text post should have three to five percent. And so I started to feel what that looks like to know. I, I 
I could know at the beginning, this is the algorithm works differently now, but yeah. in to that early late 2019, early 2020, I could post something on a Saturday morning and in the first five minutes knew whether it was going to get a million impressions or not. I just yeah. knew because of just the, the sheer volume in the first five minutes. Um, I, I feel like he still can. I still, yeah. I still know. Like I post, like, I know what's gonna fly, and I know what's not. I know when it's some BS. Yeah, I get I surprised. Like the one, I, the one I posted today, I was like, I'm not sure if this is gonna hit, and it's pretty, pretty good performing right now. And so I love, yeah. I, I love uh, when I'm posting something and I'm yeah. not sure if it's gonna work. It's a good feeling because you, you learn. Um, and I think a lot of people get stuck in doing the certain thing, and I'm guilty of this too. I like yeah. as I say this, I know this. You get stuck in what's working, and you you slow down on innovation. We're working hard to sort of like we've been innovated on our content pillars. Like we do more live events, we do other things like that. But in terms of the, what we're putting on LinkedIn, like we could, there's a lot of room for innovation on on my feed. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we all. I think you nailed it, right? Once you get something that works, if something got 20,000, 30,000 views, man, I'm gonna keep on giving you more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not gonna switch it up, man. But like, which brings us to a great point, man. Like, I think my personal belief is more B2B brands should be empowering their salespeople, marketers to be the face of the company, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And how can companies empower their employees to do so? It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Our people do it. Um, we probably you, have is it like something that's part of the like are you not forced but is it something that's part of their day to day cuz i feel like no. that can't be forced it just you have to want it's it not, no so the the way that we've done it is one like the executives at the company need to believe it enough and model the behavior and make people feel safe to do it i think that's the missing piece in a lot of companies yeah like i think that people need to to show your employees the way if you believe in it which then mm -hmm. makes people feel safe to do it um so that was one thing i we, and we get incredible talent, you know, sales from it. It helps in recruiting. It just helps across the board and overall just like a visibility and awareness about the things that we believe in. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. And then in about six months ago, we did a, a contest where the winner got like 300 bucks for <laughs> um, whoever did the most posts on LinkedIn in a month. And we did that for one month and the behavior, the behavior sticks. And so like, yeah. and, and now people like to do it because they're building their own profile. Now they're getting invited on podcasts. Yeah. It's good for our company. The reason that companies, the reason that people don't do it in, inside of companies is for two reasons. One, they don't feel safe to do it. Like yeah. that if they start posting on LinkedIn, that somebody's going to come over to them and be like, Hey, are you looking for another job? Like something like that. Or the people that work in the company are going to judge them for it. Yeah. which I I've felt as an employee before. Yeah. And so do the, both of those things. If you are the leader of a company and you want your people to post on LinkedIn, you need to remove those two barriers. I completely agree with you. It has actually had another guest on about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, AJ Yon. He was actually a top LinkedIn voice, right? So for the cybersecurity space, and he said the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, my employees are looking at me and, you know, I don't want to be just the face. So I put up a contest. Who could put up the most posts? Who can get the most engagement? And then it just fueled this creativity throughout their marketing and sales team. And mm -hmm. then it's like working out. Once you get your routine, it's game over, right? Once you get the LinkedIn bug, so to speak. Yeah. And I think the last part is allow people to talk about the things that they want to talk about, not like a canned response about your yes. company or your product, right? Like if you work for an IT security firm and you're in finance, like maybe you would rather talk about finance than IT security. And, yeah. I think, and so, and if you're a salesperson, but you sell to finance, maybe you would rather talk about sales and finance. And so I think allowing people to, to not just like push down the approved company messaging and talk about the things that they actually care about because the overall yeah. visibility helps the company regardless. Like I am yeah. way more aware of certain companies 
because certain people at those companies post on LinkedIn and I like the content. And I think yeah. a lot of people miss that. Um, a lot of companies that I would potentially recommend to the companies that we work with uh, might be a customer at one point. And so, yeah. and they're posting about SDR training or things, <laughs> you know, stuff that has nothing to do with their company. And so I think that encouraging employees to post what they feel passionate about is another thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because that, that's how I started, right? I was like, let me just start with what feels right, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because that imposter syndrome for all those listening, you guys know it's real, right? My, my thing was, do I know enough to be a thought leader? Will anybody care? And then I just blocked that out and say, I just need conversations. I just need somebody to like my post. I need mm -hmm. to go in the DM and be able to start that conversation. And that's how those conversations have like you and I maybe or, or Dave Gerhardt, you know, me and him talking on the comments mm -hmm. and now we're cool. He comes on mm -hmm. the podcast mm -hmm. and now he has visibility about my brand and he yep. almost gave me a deal on the air. It was crazy. <laughs> that's, how, that's how cool and, he is, man. And, and people don't understand the idea of that if Dave was on your podcast, the potential of him recommending someone to use you just because he knows you and a lot of people listen to him. It's like quasi influencer marketing, but it's just networking. Exactly. It really is just networking. You know what I mean? When it comes down to it, a lot of people are recommending the scale of word of mouth. It's something I talk about a lot. The ability and the accessibility of word of mouth between people that barely know each other is way, way different now. And yeah. so by by companies being able to lean into that. Like I know people that have 50,000 followers that do sales consulting for B2B SaaS that definitely recommend us because we're the only one that they know about that would do something like what their customer needs. Yeah. And so um, thinking about that as a, either a personal brand, collabs, things like that, or as a company, if you want to call it collaborations, influencer marketing, whatever you want to call it that makes you yeah. feel good, like that's what it is. That, that's important. Absolutely. Because the biggest thing I get, and I'll be honest with you, is what when I post up the flyers, right? It's how the hell did you get him? How did you get Chris? How did you get Dave? How did you get all these people? And it's just being a person, man, right? Mm -hmm. Having just that relationship. Ask. ask. <laughs> be a person, man. I, I, I got the CEO revolt. And what I did was I just filmed a video, 30 seconds, man. Had my kids in the background. And I'm like, man, I just want to, I just want to talk to you, brother. And then you say, you know, here's my assistant. And that's what happened, man. So like that, that's love, man. Like people underestimate the value of relationships, mm -hmm. right? Talk to people, man. It's better than, you know, I'm going to have a way better connection with you now than I had yesterday. You know what I mean? The day before. Yeah, totally. It means something. And I, I, th I think the root is that people are, um, especially in sales, but this is across the board, but people are so short-term focused looking for that deal right now. Like yeah. as, the, the complete difference of you sliding into my DM being like, hey, you want to work with us versus, hey, you want to come on my podcast and then just six months later, I'm like, I need that shit. I guess Jared does it. That's, yeah. that's the difference. But I think that companies put people in such a short-term mindset that they can't do a lot of these things. They can't yeah. network because they need to book meetings or whatever. Yeah, and I, yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> and, I know, and I know we're, we're running up on time, man. I'm curious to know, though, who are your top go-tos? Like, who's your top go-tos on LinkedIn? Whose content you're like, damn, uh, I love that. who inspires you? Gosh, the, um, so I, I learn a lot by doing now. Um, I true, I truly do. Um, because at this point, like I feel like I kind of am setting my own benchmarks, not to like toot my own horn, but it's true. Yeah. Like I'm sort of like in a different, I'm, I'm operating on a different model. Everyone, other company is running the serious decisions waterfall and I'm doing this. And so there's not a lot of people to listen to. Like I'm paving, I'm paving the way in this little area, but yeah. the people that I, the people that I really like, I appreciate Dave's perspective. Him and I are aligned a lot of stuff. Dave Gerhardt. Sure. Um, I had Udi from Gong on the on the podcast recently. And shout out to Udi. Um, and Dave, yeah, I mean yep. he's just ultra creative guy. Love his perspective. Also love just how he thinks about marketing in such a, a unique and, and progressive way. Yeah. Um 
I like I like Peep Laja. I like his stuff. If you're familiar yeah. with him, Peep. Um, who's that? To be honest with you, you and Dave are kind of like my go-tos. When I need mm-hmm. marketing advice, when I need some ideas for content, I'm going to you guys. And that's pretty much what it is. Like you guys have niched out that car. Like mm-hmm. I mean, and they carved out that niche, right? And what Dave has done with his his group. Mm-hmm. is amazing yeah right? so everything is audience so if you have that audience where people have that credibility you have that credibility they trust you they learn from you it's only going to help your brand that much more right and he mm-hmm. has it to the point where he could even maybe monetize outside of his own brand totally <laughs> and there's there's a there's a lot of people specifically on Inst- let's just look at instagram for a second that mm-hmm. have been able to build an audience but ha- have not figured out how to monetize yeah right so there's another there's another thing too and it's a, it's a hard thing yeah. It's, a, it's a hard thing to do because you actually need to go from being a content creator to being a business person. Yeah, Some people aren't. And so if you do have the audience and you recognize that you're not a business person, find, find a partner. Yeah. Find a partner and then know your audience. That's the first thing you said mm-hmm. today. Know your audience, right? Go in the DMs. Well, hey, thank you for supporting me. Why, why did What caught your eye? Do that market research so you can refine your efforts, refine mm-hmm. your approach. And once you do that, once you have an audience, a good um, example is Jake Paul. Are you familiar with him? Mm, yeah, the YouTuber. So he said the same thing you said. He said I put up a, th- a one video for 865 days straight. Mm-hmm. He said he said I don't care if it was a death, a wedding. I got sick. I'm posting that content up. Two years later, he has 40 million followers, and he's about to fight Floyd Mayweather with <laughs> no experience. Right. <laughs> so if that doesn't tell you guys the power of brand. Build it right. Be out there. You cannot do it just by the old. I'm gonna send a thousand cold emails. That's not mm-hmm. gonna work no more. I want to know who mm-hmm. I'm working with. People want to know who they're working with. Tell your story. Be out there, and then refine your approach as you go. That, Love that. that. That's, that's the, that's the I, best. I got way. nothing to add, man. That was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. I'm here for you, brother, and I, I appreciate you. I know you got a hard stop, man, but I just want to say thank you, brother. Like I'm a big fan. I'm always going to be rooting for you, man. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to all the things you got going on, especially the the monthly check ins with you and Dave, man. So yeah. I'm tuned in. I would love to get you and Gatana one one day, man. I'm gonna have to reach Dude, out. Dude, I would. I would love to do that. Let's do it. I want to do like a, a rankable all-star. Me, you, Dave, Catano, <laughs> and we're going to make it happen, man. All right? Awesome. But appreciate, I appreciate you, man. Of course, man. Much love Good as always. To you. Thanks, everybody everyone. Listening, thank you, man. And we'll see you next week for rankable episode 34. Chris, you're the man. And we know we'll be following you soon, man, brother. Have Catch a great one. Catch you all one. later. See ya. Take it easy.